It has been a while since I've preached. The last message I gave was last evening at 4.30, because we have a Saturday service. So I got a run through today. It's been very enjoyable for me to see Pastor David um, preaching each week, and he's had an awesome responsibility before our congregation, and I believe he's doing an excellent job. Amen? Amen. I keep hearing how much his messages touch people. So my goal today is to not mess that up, but to help us keep a good run going, because hopefully the old man still can remember a thing or two about the Scripture. But I do want to assure you in our changing of roles that I actually do preach a message every week. I just don't preach it to the adults. I do it with our children. Because the ways in which we have shared our responsibility is he's lead pastor, I'm senior executive pastor, I take on a lot of administrative things around here. He's responsible for preaching and teaching and leading and vision. I'm responsible for making sure that lay people are fully engaged and we do all of the training in the different areas. And I'm responsible for working with children and youth. And every week I do a children's message, only I usually dress up as a superhero or I dress up as a lobster guy. The next thing I'm going to be is a skater. And I try to make the Bible relevant to kids. What's great They are the most responsive congregation I've ever spoken to. Like here, sometimes people will walk up to me and say, that was a nice message. With the kids, they come and they give me hugs and they tell me how much they love me. So I'm telling you, I was looking forward to preaching today, but I had a little bit of sense of loss because I love working with the children. And I hope that everybody hears that loud and clear because I have never had so much fun as I have been working in our children's ministry. What I'd like to talk about as we look at 2024 is what we call the glorious hope. It's found, those, that term is found in Titus chapter 2. And although I'm not going to read that text, I want us to know that that's where it comes from. But before I talk about that and what the glorious hope is, which is this look to Christ and the second coming and and God making all things right, the glorious hope of the church, the thing that we all anticipate and know is in the future, I'd like to start with a story from what other state, of course, North Dakota. I told people last night, yes, I maybe haven't been preaching, but I've been keeping up on my North Dakota story. So here's a few of them that are going to find their way in today's message. When I was a little kid in Weinmere, North Dakota... My mom was a pianist. She taught classical music. She used to go into the local schools and she would set up an opportunity where what she would do is she would talk to the administration and they would let her have a studio. Sometimes her studio was something like sharing a, the upstairs in a gym in a little North Dakota school with a coach. And she would be on one side with a piano, and the coach would be on the other side planning the next football game. So she had all these interesting places that she ended up being. But what she would do there is she would tell the administration, if you let me set up this little studio during the school time, the kids can come and they can take piano lessons, and you get a better music program. And I know, at least in Weinmere, that was welcomed warmly, and I still have young people from... 
my childhood who tell me that was some of the most important time was having my mom be their piano teacher. She also made sure that they would let the kids out of class or out of study hall because she saw this as as valuable as everything else that they had in their education. My mom felt passionate about that, and if you know any piano teachers, she felt so passionate about it that all over our house we had music, stacks of music. She even had a filing cabinet that was supposed to be full of music, but I don't think music ever made its way into the filing cabinet. It was all around the filing cabinet, and there were piles everywhere. And one of the things that she had was a piece of music that used to fascinate me as a child. I want to show you the picture of it here. It is a picture of a volcano. Roaring Volcano was the name of the music. But for me as a kid, I didn't care about the music. I cared about that picture. I was fascinated with it. I used to find it and I'd look at it and I used to play an imaginary game. What would it be like to be those people to have that volcano go off? And I talked to my parents and I found out that that was a depiction of Mount Vesuvius. And I used to imagine, did they know it was going to go off? Were they fearful of it? Did they run? Did they make it? I just, it just fascinated me. Now why do I say that? Is because as Christians and as Americans even, in fact, just people living today, we can live as if we're under that volcano just waiting for it to go off. Sort of that fascination I had as a child, far too many people make that their reality. What's going to happen next? Oh my goodness, what's coming? Oh, oh, things are so bad, they're only going to get worse. And I observe how many people live their lives today with that kind of anxiety and fear that I had as a child imagining what it would be like to be under an active volcano. And you know what, folks? We're not. That's not our message as Christians. We are supposed to be the polar opposite of that kind of idea. We are Christians who are believers in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. We look to the glorious hope. We look to the fact that the second coming of Christ is a time when it's not that we're afraid that everything's going to get messed up. We're anticipating that everything's going to be made perfect. Amen? Amen. I didn't hear a loud enough amen. Amen. That's our hope. That's who we are as Christians. And so when our mind starts telling us that we need to be like everybody else, fearful and worrying and wondering what's going to happen next, we're not living out our faith. The Bible does not say, for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him might have dread and fear about the future. It just doesn't exist. We are believers in the glorious hope, the hope of the church, the fact that we know that one day Christ will return and as much as things may be messed up, we know everything will be made right. And so as we are beginning 2024, I want us to take a moment to look at one of the three major sermons of Jesus in the New Testament. The three sermons are the Sermon on the Mount. It's easy to know why it got that name. It was preached on a mountain. Sermon on the Plain. Guess why it got that name? Where was it preached? Come on. On a plain. Flat land. Then there's a third one, which is found in Matthew 24 and 25, all of that discourse, 
preached on the Mount, Mount of Olives. So all of them are named for where they happen. But here's the thing about the Olivet Discourse. It is a sermon in which Jesus lays out the second coming of the, of the Lord, where he talks about everything being made right. Now, we could have taken time, and I could have read the entire text, but we would have had to cut some other things out of the service. So I invite you, after we're done, we're going to be looking at a lot of the Scripture Please go home and read the whole thing. Matthew 24 and 25. New Living Translation is a great way to read it because it's most easily understood. But what I want us to hear as we look at this sermon that Jesus gave is we are very much like the first century Christians, followers of Jesus. They weren't called Christians yet, but the followers of Jesus who heard this message. We're very much like they are. Because when we look at our life and we look at the things that are messed up around us, they had things messed up around them. And just like Jesus, we're going to see at the beginning of this sermon, he's walking out of the temple and looking at the instability of things around him. Folks, let's be honest. We see an awful lot of instability around us. Amen? We see it all over the place. And so listen as Jesus prepares this message In Matthew 24, we're told Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to point out the buildings of the temple, but Jesus answered them, See all these, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be one left here, not one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. He looked at the temple and he said, Even that temple is going to come down. Now, the amazing thing is he says this in about 32 A.D., and 40 years later, that temple came down. Think about this big, massive structure. As people were concerned with their anxieties about Rome being in charge and would they ever have their own sovereign country and what was going to happen here and there were uprisings over there and there's wars around here, and Jesus says, oh, yeah, (laughs) even look at the temple. Even that temple is going to come down. Not that much different than we are today, is it? Much on how we look at the world. And so the disciples asked a question, the same kind of question that I'm sure we would ask if we were there with Jesus, and in fact, the same questions that we ask today when we talk about the glorious hope. Two questions. When will it all be better? Is that a good question? When? That's great. I go to church. I read my Bible. I trust in Jesus as Lord. I'm told he's going to come back and make it all right. When is that going to happen? Because that's not my experience. That's not what I'm seeing all around me. And the second question is, what sign? What's a sign? What's a sign that this is going to happen and then I know that's taking place? Now, why does this matter to us today? Because like in Jesus' time, things aren't permanent to us. As I said, Far too many people believe they're living under Mount Vesuvius and being like the little kid thinking, oh my goodness, that's a dreadful thought. And yet that's not how we're to live. So why is it relevant to us? Because if we're honest, we get in our own worst space at six inches between our two ears, which I like to call the weakest muscle in our body, and we go there and we start thinking and imagining things that are not good. Man. What's this year going to bring? Wow. Can things get any worse? And that's not how God wants us to live. We are child of the King. We are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
We are the people who believe that Jesus came back from the dead and the Holy Spirit indwells us. And with God, nothing is impossible. And yet we act like we're sitting under Mount Vesuvius just waiting for it to erupt. Think of all the things that are happening that make people anxious today. Two major wars going on, school shootings, another one this last week. Turbulent election season, natural disasters, largest church denominational split in 150 years. We know that only too well. Too big to fail now means we know that everything can fail. And words get deconstructed, change, and have multiple meanings, and we don't even know what a word means anymore. We wonder why people have anxiety. We look around and we say, you know, the only cure, the only answer is a perfect belief and hope in Jesus as Lord and Savior. A confidence that Jesus is coming again to make it all right. And a fact that no matter what my senses may tell me at any moment, I do not live my life based on my emotions. Because if I live them on my emotions, trust me, I don't go in a good place. I have them firmly grounded in God, in Jesus as my Savior, in the Scriptures to be my guide. Amen? When we learn that, we discover that God has nothing but good for us. So the second coming is when everything gets fixed and eventually everything makes sense. So we, like the disciples, ask, when, Lord? When is this going to happen? And what are the signs? How am I going to know? How can I be out there leading the charge? When is the glorious hope? When's it going to take place? And then Jesus does what only Jesus can do. He never answers the questions that we ask. He answers the question he wants us to have asked. And that's what the Olivet Discourse is. Oh, you want to know when it's going to happen and you want to know what the signs are? Listen, I'm going to tell you how to live until I do it. And that's what he does in this sermon. It's an amazing sermon. I shouldn't be preaching. I should just be reading a sermon because it's far better than anything I have to say. But the truth is, When we get what Jesus says, we understand why it's the antidote to all of the fear and anxiety of our society. And we start discovering why God's word helps us and changes us. Because the first thing he says about the second coming is stay calm. I think we call it today, take a chill pill. Relax. Go to Starbucks, have a cup of coffee, Jesus says. Unless you don't like Starbucks, go to Dunkin' Donuts. And if you don't like either of them, go take a walk down at the waterfront. Jesus says, verses 4 through 7, chapter 24 of Matthew, See to it that no one leads you astray. For many are going to come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they'll lead many astray. And you'll hear of wars and rumors of wars. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? That wasn't written today. That's written 2,000 years ago. See to it that you're not alarmed. Hear that? Stay calm. Relax. For this must take place, but the end is not yet. Nation will rise up against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there'll be famines, yep, earthquakes, yep, in various places. And all these are but the beginning, the birth pains. Do you know what birth pains are? They're something that men say every time when our wives have a child, man, I'm glad I'm a guy. (laughs) Birth pains mean something great's about to happen. 
Labor pains don't mean, oh my goodness, I'm going to be stuck in labor for the rest of my life. Birth pains mean a child's on the way. I still remember when our second child was born, and his name's Todd, for any of you who don't know. He was just here a few weeks ago. My wife went through something that nobody should go through. It was awful. It was the worst pregnancy and delivery that we could have had. Everything. And if I described it, you'd all be going, ew, so we're not going to describe it. Trust me, it was bad. The baby's born, she's holding him, and she goes, it was all worth it. I go, no, it wasn't. She goes, oh, yes, it was. You see, a birth pain means something great is about to happen. But here's the thing. On July 26, 1989, my wife went into labor. July 26, got it? Guess what happened the next day at about 1 o'clock in the morning? We had a baby. His name is David Stanley Cushing. He usually is up here preaching instead of me. Fast forward seven years. July 26, 1996, my wife goes into labor again. Problem is, she was only 25 weeks along. The baby wasn't born July 27th. He was born November 12th. And I learned something about birth pains. I learned something about labor. It tells you something's going to happen, but it doesn't tell you when. From the birth of our son Todd on, I've started to notice how many times people say, my wife's in labor, we're going to have the baby, and then two days later the baby comes. You know, it doesn't tell you when. That's Jesus' point. The birth pains tell you that there's something great going to happen, but it doesn't tell you when it's going to happen. So what does Jesus say? Play Chinese checkers. That's what we did as we were waiting for our first child until Regina turned to me and said, I think the Chinese checker game is over. Stay calm, he says. If you believe that God's sovereign, and if you believe that God's in control, relax. Because that means God's sovereign and God's in control. And when we get ourselves just all worked up about everything and act like we're down at the bottom of a mountain and that Mount Vesuvius is going to go off, we are missing the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ told us to stay calm, to relax, and trust in him. That's what our faith tells us. Amen? Why don't we? Because we overthink it. We let our feelings get in the way. We let society control us. We pay attention to all the stuff that our, our newsfeed tells us on our smartphones and aren't that smart. And we can manipulate it all over the time. And Jesus says, stay calm. But then he goes on and he says, don't just stay calm because, you know, that would just be like, okay, take a walk down at the waterfront. He has more advice beyond that. He says, always be ready. He doesn't say, stay calm and live a wanton, destructive, bad life. He doesn't say, stay calm and just go live the way the most carnal, non-Christian lives their life and see if you can mess up everything. He says, stay calm, but always be ready. Live knowing that at any moment, Jesus can return. That's the glorious hope. That's not a fear. That's a glorious hope. I went to a funeral yesterday for a lady who attends our Saturday service. Her name is Betty. David and I couldn't visit her the last day that she got a visit from our church. She was actually originally from Duxbury Baptist Church, and the funeral was over at Duxbury Baptist, and so David and Regina and I and a few went over to her service. She had come here because after COVID, her husband had died. It was too hard for her to get over there, and a 4.30 service worked well for her, so she started attending 4.30. She also attended my wife's Bible study. Very sweet, nice lady. Last day that she was here in 
this earth. She was in the hospital. David and I were busy. We called Azekai and said, Azekai, could you go visit Betty? He went over and had a nice visit and a prayer with her. Said to us afterwards, she's doing well. She's hoping to go home. She did go home. Just a different home than she thought she was planning on. We don't know, folks. We don't know if 20 minutes later, Azekai goes in and has a prayer with her, and 20 minutes later, she took her last breath, and she was at home with our Lord and, and her family and her husband, who, you know, we had a wonderful celebration of her life. The celebration of her life was all about how she always lived her life to be prepared to meet her Lord. And we heard about what a faithful Christian she was. That's what Jesus asks us to do. Chapter 24, verses 36 through 42, concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven. Get that? Hear that? No one knows, not even the angels of heaven. That means when somebody starts telling you they know something, trust me, they don't know. If Jesus says we don't know, we don't know. He wants us to be ready. He doesn't want us to think that we know things we do. For as it was in the days of Noah, so it will become in the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them away, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. Two men will be in the field, one will be taken, one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken, one will be left. Therefore, he says, stay awake. Stay awake. Always be ready. For you do not know the day your Lord is coming. Here's message. Stay calm and live the right life. Stay calm and be faithful. Stay calm and trust God. Stay calm and make that phone call to that person that you know that you need to ask for forgiveness from. Ask for forgiveness. Stay calm and Make sure every single day we go through a personal inventory. How am I doing in the morning? How am I doing at night? Lord, where do I need to make a change? Lord, may this day be dedicated to you. And at the end of the day, Lord, thank you for getting me through another day. Help me do better tomorrow. That's how Jesus tells us to deal with the anxiety of our society, of the first century, of the temple coming down, of wars, of rumors of wars, and everything else. Too many set her out in the field. One's gone. Didn't expect it. Noah, he gives as an example. I love the story of Noah. I like to think, you know, here's this guy out in the desert building a boat, and everybody says, I don't get it. What's he out there building the boat for? And he goes, oh, the, God's going to bring a great flood. I, I don't think so. I got something to go do. And people are not living faithful lives. They're doing everything else. They're going on with their life, but they're not getting themselves right with God, and they're not getting themselves connected to the things they need to be connected with. And what Jesus is telling us is don't be like the foolish people who see Mo, Noah building a boat and thinking, I'll deal with that tomorrow. I need to make a change in my life. I, I, I can do that next week. You know, here's a sin that the Lord's been really convicted me about, but you know, it's kind of my pet sin. I, I think I'll nurse it for a couple more weeks, and maybe next week I'll deal with it. That's what Jesus is telling us. How do we deal with the anxiety and the frustration and the concerns of the world? Look at our lives, stay calm, and look at how we're living. Am I being prayerful? Am I being faithful in my giving? Am I being faithful in my serving? He goes on and tells the story of bridesmaids, weren't prepared. They don't have the oil for the lamp. 
They're supposed to have the oil so that when the bride comes in, they are ready for the, for the wedding feast, and they're not. And he tells about the guy who's, who's three guys who are given some talent, some money. A couple of them take it seriously. One says, eh, it doesn't matter. I'll just bury my money in the ground. Years ago, I had an experience, again, a North Dakota story. I used to say all great sermons have to have a reference to North Dakota. So I made sure I give you a couple of them today. I was a kid, and I had my first big boy job. I got to pick mustard in a beet field. I saw some grimaces. Trust me, it was not a fun job. You walk down the rows, and you pick out mustard. When you get to the end, you turn around, and you come back the other way because the mustard becomes weeds out in these beet fields, and there's nice rows you can go out and come back. That's where sugar beets, that's where they're raising the sugar beets. At the end, the farmer that hired us told us that we could sit in the truck and have a drink of water and go back and do it again. But here's the deal. So it was early 1970s. He paid us four bucks an hour. David last night tried to figure out what that was. Do you know how much that's equivalent to today? That's like getting paid $30 an hour. Hire some high school kids and give them 30 bucks an hour. It's a pretty good job. But here's the problem. There's a whole bunch of us who were hired. We got an hour off for lunch that he paid us for lunch. It was great. Had the best meals. But I started noticing, supposed to go down, come back, take our little break for water. Some guys didn't do that. Some guys went down, came back, and sat in the truck for 20 minutes, 30 minutes, half an hour. And they started saying, you know, you don't have to, you don't have to work this hard. Nobody, nobody's, not like somebody's watching us. And so little bit by little, I started making compromises until I went from the group of people who got to be a very small group of people who were faithfully going up and down, to the other group of people who we were having a nice time, sitting drinking water. Nothing like drinking water on a hot North Dakota summer day, watching somebody else do work out in a beet field. Until one day, unbeknownst to us, the farmer brought his truck about a half mile down the road, parked it, looked over, and took inventory of which of us were working and which of us weren't. Those of us who weren't all got fired. You're done. But I will hire you back, he said, at $2 an hour. Now my job went from $30 an hour to $15 an hour in today's money. I took the job at 15 bucks an hour, $2 back then. You see, I always like to buy vinyl records, and I could buy a whole bunch of records for $2. So anyhow, the point is, we don't know when the farmer's going to show up, do we? We're like that kid. How do we live our life, Jesus says. You're worried about the future? Stop being worried about the future. Stop worrying about what's going to happen and look at our own life and how am I living? Am I living faithfully? That's the only question. It's not, do I need to control world events or worry about the election or solve world peace or anything else? Because I'm not going to do that and neither are you. We can pray, we can trust God, we can turn it over, but we do have control over something, ourselves and how we live. And so Jesus says, stay calm, always be ready, and then examine our faith. What is the quality of our faith? Are we people who genuinely believe? Because in chapter 25, when he goes from 24, where he's telling us to stay calm and to be ready, Matthew 25, Jesus makes a turn. And now what he does is he says, you got to look at your faith. Because ultimately, if you're struggling with life, it's really a question of, do I believe? And how do I know? How do I know that my faith is legitimate? 
How do I know that I'm really trusting in God? And Jesus makes it pretty simple. Verse 37. He says, one day the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you and thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you and naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. That's all in a section of the, of the sermon where Jesus divides the world into sheep and goats. Here's my one problem I've always had with Jesus. I like goats. They're my favorite animal. I do not understand why he made the sheep the good ones and the goats the bad ones. I would have reversed it. That's my question when I get to heaven. But the point here is Jesus is saying, listen, there's faith that's legitimate, that's real, and it makes a change in your life. So much so that you don't have to go out and work at your faith. It becomes natural. I've heard far too many sermons preached on, see, Jesus tells us to feed the poor and do all these things. Kind of, but that's not the point of what he's saying. He's saying a legitimate faith, a real faith, changes us, and we start doing things because of our faith. Hear the difference? Huge difference. It's not that I have to work hard at doing the things I don't want to do and go, oh my goodness, I can't believe it. I'm a Christian, and so today i got to go serve the homeless in downtown Plymouth. Jesus is not saying that. He's saying the opposite. He's saying when our faith is legitimate, our lives start changing. And when we look at the fruit of our life and the fruit of other people's lives, we become fruit inspectors and we start realizing the Holy Spirit is working in our hearts and that's a challenge for us to look at our lives, to take a self-evaluation, an inventory, take the, the mirror and put it up to our face and say, am I changing? Is God changing me? And if God's not changing me, I need to get on my knees, I need to open my Bible and I need to repent, Amen. Because it's not that I need to change, I need to let God change me. And that's Jesus' point. Why are we afraid? We're afraid because we're trying to do it all on our own. We're trying to do it on our own effort. And Jesus says we don't need to. Talked to someone recently. This is a common occurrence for a pastor to have. A person said, I came to faith and I can't believe the changes that have happened in my life. I didn't even notice them happening. All of a sudden, I'm not angry like I used to be angry. I'm not getting upset with people the way I used to be. I'm forgiving people I didn't think I could forgive. That's the Holy Spirit, folks. Many times, I took, years ago, I stood with a woman right outside the sanctuary here, and she came to me and she said, I wasn't and now I am. I go, what's that? She goes, a Christian. I said, what do you mean? I said, I started coming to this church. I didn't believe and now I do. I said, when did it happen? She goes, that's the mystery. I don't know when it happened. It just happened. And now I'm in Bible studies and all kinds of stuff, and my life is changing, and I'm amazed that it's happened. I don't know when it took place. I just know that God did it. That's what Jesus says. What he's saying is the sheep don't even know when we are doing the things that God wants us to do because we're just surrendered to the Lord. So like the disciples of the first century... We ask our questions. When and what sign? Jesus, please tell me, just, just me, nobody else, just tell me. When are you going to return so I can have this secret knowledge and promise I won't put it all over the internet. Surprise, I really will. I'll put it on Facebook and tell everybody. But I'm going to tell you I won't. 
but I really want that inside scoop. And Jesus goes, even the angels don't get the inside scoop. Nope. That's the Father's business. Remember, there's three kinds of business. My business, your business, and none of my business. This is God's business, is what Jesus tells us. It's not for me to know when. So we say, okay, what signs? And it goes, the signs are all over the place. <laughs> They're birth pangs. They remind you it's all going to be okay. So the next time you hear bad news, think of Jesus. Think that he says this is a birth pang telling us that Christ is coming. Christ will make it all better. God is at hand and working and doing his work, and we don't have to worry about it. Stay calm, always be ready, and examine our faith. As we enter into 2024, may that be how we live our lives, folks. May we just trust and obey. May we just understand that God is sovereign and we don't have anything to be fearful of. If you're struggling today, if you have something in your life that makes no sense and you'd like prayer, I'd like to invite, I know that we're down on our numbers a bit, but Bob, if you could come forward, and Janice, if you could come forward to have a few elders here. We're always here to pray for you. There's something that you need to turn over. What is a better time than today to turn it over to the Lord? And now let us stand and worship together.